what was the first brand you remember or product you remember buying online and what made you buy it? One of them would have been Dell. So I bought a laptop and, and with Dell, you, you built your own laptop. It was cool because like you build it your own, right? It's like, I want this, this memory, this many gigs, this, this program's on it. And I was like, and then it magically comes. And you're like, oh, pretty cool. Welcome to the Million Dollar E-Commerce Podcast. My name is Ala Hassan, the most passionate e-com guy you'll ever meet. I've been helping brands sell millions of dollars online with e-commerce since 2001. I'm also the founder of eCommerceTrainingAcademy.com. We offer a growth coaching program designed to help brands sell more products online. If you're the founder, executive, or someone who's in charge of growing a brand online, this show is for you. You'll enjoy listening to engaging conversations, insightful content, and actionable ideas on how to sell more, grow faster, and scale profitably with e-commerce. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. And for show notes, visit milliondollarecommerce.com. Johnny Russo, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Ala, it's so good to be on this with you. You have no idea. I'm great. <laughs> it's been a while. We haven't seen each other. And I've been wanting to do this episode for a very long time. So thanks again for willing to show up here and really share your story and your experience in the world of e-commerce. And was really, really looking forward to it today. Likewise. I don't know if, you know, I'm sure I mentioned it previously to you, uh, but I figured let me remind you uh, as well as tell the audience how big of an impact you had on my own e-commerce career. Um, for those that don't know, I met Johnny at the gym and uh, Gold's Gym in, in, in our city. And I remember LinkedIn once recommending that I should connect with you. And I remember seeing your face on LinkedIn. And I'm like, I've seen this guy, but I can't remember. And then it hit with me. Oh, I see him every day at the gym, but we haven't spoken at that time. And that's when I introduced myself, I believe, at the gym. And from there, we kicked it off. And uh, here we are. But one thing that had an impact on me is when I met with you, when I met you the first time, I was still at INET Video. And I was there for about almost 13 years. And I was always thinking about taking that next step. But I felt like you're the one who really pushed me in discovering what's out there, willing to listen to opportunities that may come to me and see if there is a possibility for me to move up in my career. And so I want to thank you for that push. Uh, really appreciate it. I don't think I would be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for that push that you gave me. Wow, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't even know that. So thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks for telling me that. I mean, uh, you know, for, for me, it's interesting because, yeah, I remember that encounter at the at the gym and you actually got me into speaking more and more at first ecom event ecom montreal i remember you you connected us with your organizer charles and uh, i always wanted to do public speaking and i did it you know in small audiences and yeah. and you're the reason that i i have this ambition and kind of passion for for speaking so um thank you oh you're welcome i remember it's true we uh, you spoke at mtl e-commerce yeah. and charles was there Beautiful. And then ETL Canada and every other conference that we met. We met, I believe, also at IRC yeah, once. Chicago. Yeah, Chicago, Orlando. Uh, Chicago or Orlando? No, Chicago. Chicago, Chicago, yeah. So, no, great. Uh, and listen, we have a lot to talk about. Um, so, for everyone who's joining in into this episode, Johnny Russo is the Chief Digital Officer at Lamore Group. I'm going to really let him explain who he is, his background, his journey. So, Johnny... Who are you? What's yeah. your career? What, where do you work? What do you guys sell? What is it that you do? Tell us. Yeah, so um, I, I joined Lemoore about uh, a year and a couple of months ago. And uh, Lemoore is really interesting. It's a 40-year-old based manufacturer of uh, underwear, socks, basics, thermals. And they're a wholesale company. And um, they have a bunch of licenses. So New Balance, uh, underwear, you know, bench socks many brands, Andy Bauer, Solomon. And a couple of years ago, they also started buying their own brands, direct-to-consumer brands, um, and and owning, you know, the 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 wholesale part of that business, the Amazon part, and then wanted to do direct-to-consumer. So once they had a few of these, they, they really um, figured they need to create this division and, and bring someone in. So they, they brought me in to, to lead and, and run that. Um, so we, we operate about five e-com uh, brands. Uh, it's always changing with some mergers, acquisitions, and and uh, and buybacks and so on. So yeah, we 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 have five e-com brands that uh, the team runs, and um, you know 
that's on the e-com front. We also have the wholesale marketing. So I have a part of my team that takes care of the content and the branding for some of the wholesale needs like catalogs and some of the more traditional marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other part of my team uh, really runs the day-to-day on um, five e-com uh, sites. And uh, we're going to be launching a B2B site in a couple of weeks as well. Nice. You're, you're, I want to. I will talk about some of the initiatives that you always. I see you taking lead at every company you've worked at. One being you're always going through this. Let's replatform. Let's launch something new. So we'll, we're going to talk about that. But prior to joining the company, if you're able to share some of the other brands you worked with, I mean, your fashion career is phenomenal, and I think it, it deserves to be mentioned. Yeah. So uh, I, I thought I was going to be a journalist. Uh, when 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 this all began, uh, so I graduated from Concordia in journalism. Wanted to be a sports writer. Uh, left Montreal for Ottawa for a couple of years, thinking that might be an even better opportunity for an English, English language uh, sportscaster or whatnot. And uh, got a job in marketing. And you know, it took me about two weeks to really understand that this this is where I wanted to be. And kind of pivoted my my entire career and just started learning about marketing and advertising. And um, thankfully, this is, you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, digital was up and coming. So so my first couple of roles were centered on digital and websites and, you know, transactional e-com wasn't necessarily a thing, but I started manufacturing and great to learn, very slow pace was manufacturing of like signage and another company was um, uh, food like ovens uh, for, okay. for predominantly like chickens and, and stuff. So went there, very slow pace. Then went to two startups and I'm like, oh, I love this field. It's very fast paced technology. And then uh, Buffalo uh, had, had called me Buffalo Jeans. And I said, well, you know, I loved retail as a consumer. And I said, yeah, this this makes sense. I love fashion. I love the whole fast pace of technology now going into like e-com and, and web. And that was in 2010. So lucky enough that in, in 12 years to be in e-com, but so spent some time with Buffalo, spent some time with Mex, um, almost had the chance to move to Amsterdam with uh, with, with Mex and um, Bentley as well. And then, you know, one of, one of the, the things that, um, I don't know if Ignite is the right word, but really advanced my career in many ways was uh, Canadian Tire called me. And, mm-hmm. you know, being, you know, I'm in Montreal and I said, oh, okay, this is a Toronto move. Uh, and then they said, well, we have a division called Mark's. Uh, and it's in Calgary, and I said, "Marks, you know, in Quebec, it's called Lake Upper, and it's not it's not as big as Marks is across Canada." So I said, ah, "I don't know, I don't know." And then I, I spoke to my my uh, who would be my boss, there, David Louis, and, and we hit it off. And he's like, "Okay, come 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 to Calgary next week. Just come, let's meet. We'll we'll go visit some stores. It's it's bigger than you think." And I went and uh, just fell in love with the city, uh, fell in love with him. Uh, just great, great person. And I said, yeah, I could, I could, I could do this. And, and, you know, one of the questions I had was like, cause you hear, you know, Canadian Tire at the time, they, they went away from e-com. So they, mm-hmm. they had products online and then said, we, we can't True. ship screws and screwdrivers. Like it doesn't make sense. And they backed away. So I said, you know, is, is the company ready for change? Uh, very flyer based, right? Flyers, like physical flyers, print ads, still in newspapers. And I said like, you know, that, you know, 95% of the budgets there, digital was up and coming. Is a company ready? And they said yes. And I spoke to the president, and and uh, he agreed as well. And and uh, so I made the move uh, in 2016. So I spent four years there, um, and then uh, came back to Montreal with with a couple of family-run businesses, including where I'm at today at, at Lemoore. Um, but I, yeah, I'll always you know it's it's cool because like I've been to I've been at public companies, which Canadian Tire was, uh, privately held companies with investors and family-run businesses. And kind of like what you're mentioning, right? Is, is it an advantage to stay in one company forever? Is it nice to see different things? I mean, you got to understand what you like and what you what you don't like about about each of them. They're very different, but um, you know, it really depends on people's comfort level for for change. And um, you know, so uh, there's no right or wrong answer, I guess. So then, to to go into a little bit more details with regards to this, I have a question. Um, how did the Max Buffalo experience, uh, Bentley, and all these companies that we worked prior to Canadian Tire prepare you for the Canadian Tire role? And then a follow-up question then would be, how did the Canadian Tire experience help you with the current role that you have right now? Yeah, I'll never forget. So anyone who enters digital in, in, in any capacity, 
um, you're going to go two ways. You're either going to be like that day-to-day expert on the tech side and really know how to fix Google ads and, and, you know, run a Facebook campaign and you can talk return on ad spend and you can talk percentage of traffic from organic search. And then there's a business angle of e-commerce where are you in charge of your P&L? And if you are, what are the main levers and how do you get to a positive net income of X percent? Um, how much of your team is, or headcount, you know, is required to achieve some of the gross sales? How do you have no returns, shipping? How do you save money? How do you make more money? Uh, your ad spend and so on. So like there's a whole business side of it. And I would say that thankfully um, at, at Max, I had a, I had a boss and her name was Anne Helene and uh, she had come from Levi's. And so, you know, back to the whole Amsterdam thing, I would, she was in Amsterdam. I would, I would, you know, spend every quarter, uh, every quarter I would travel to Amsterdam, which was, was great for, you know, I was probably in my twenties at the time. Um, and she really had a, a hold and again, Levi's experience, right? Public company really had a hold on budgeting and how you build a budget and how you do that from the bottom up. And I'll never forget how we, how we built it together, but she showed me how to do it. And then I just kind of ran mm-hmm. with it. And I still use some of these templates today. Some of my team members that I've had in the past still use these templates today on how to build a budget and a plan and, and, and scale it. So I would say that prepared me for Canadian Tire because at a, at a, at a public company that massive in size, um, you know, $14 billion or $15 billion or so, you, you, you need to understand your numbers. You need to present them well. Um, there's, there's a lot of presentations to, you know, boards and presidents and CEOs for projects you want to do, money you want to, want to invest. Um, you're looking far in advance as well. You're not looking months in advance. You're looking years in advance for investments, whether it's, you know, on the POS side, point of sale at stores, um, omni-channel, right? It, it doesn't get launched in a day at a large company like that. So that really prepared me for that type of, of role. And then on top of that, like in terms of what I learned at Canadian Tire that um, helps me on the other side of things is like, there's twofold. Because like at a larger enterprise, sometimes... Uh, it's very political, right? In, in, in many ways, you have to move projects along and, and it's not always easy to be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur at, at a large uh, company, but you, you got to just find your relationships and your allies and, and figure out like how, how to make everyone else look good, right? Like how to make your yeah. bosses look good. And so there's a lot of, of that, that, you know, when you, when you come into like a family run business or a private company, you can take that with you. The other thing, though, it does, it, it makes you move so much quicker when you don't have some of that baggage. And I don't use baggage in a, in a negative way. It is what it is, especially public company. I mean, you you can't just launch a promo. The disclaimers have to be accurate. You have stores. You know, we had 365 stores at Marks. We can't just change pricing without impacting stores. So there's a lot of disclaimers and legal stuff that you know, is needed to protect the company. So get it. But like when you go to like a private or a family run business, you, you can move a bit, a bit quicker. So you almost feel like you get more done. And, you know, to compare it to, to tech, right? We, we had Hybris and now we're using Shopify. And I can't tell you how quick we could run. Just, just simple things like setting up a promo, <laughs> like a tiered promo, you know, a buy one, get 10, buy two, get 20, buy three, get 30. I mean, like, that's a lot of hours of development on, on Hybris um, to get it to work. And, and on Shopify, it's literally, you know, 30 seconds. Which uh, you've had many roles, director of e-commerce, digital marketing, VP roles, and now you're the chief digital officer at Lamour Group. Talk to us a little bit about your role right now. What do you do? Uh, what's the work exactly? How does your day look like? And if you were to kind of divide your day into percentages and the type of work you're doing, what would it be? Very curious. Yeah. So how, uh, it's a good question because we're, it's interesting because we have the e-com side and then the wholesale marketing side um, and, and, and the e-com side takes most of my data. But so we have four kind of pillars. There is product and data. There's e-commerce, which includes development, website operations, operations from a supply chain and shipping perspective and customer experience. So all the customer service stuff. 
as you call them, we have digital marketing. So any program that gets traffic to, to the site, whether that's email, SMS, paid media, affiliates, all that stuff is, is on digital marketing. And then we have content and brand. So, you know, developing out the brand books, the designs, the web designs that are content, that our digital marketing teams will use for ads and so on. And, and all the wholesale marketing happens on, on those. So I have a direct reports in each of those and kind of, you know, my, my time, depending on the day is, is shifted. So that's kind of the day-to-day and then it's managing up, right? Working with my bosses from a strategic level on what's next, what's six months in advance, what's a year in advance, making sure quarterly P&Ls are, you know, where they should be, making sure budgets are good. If we need more budgets, we're, you know, that's that's the beauty of, of a family-run business. It's like you have a budget. If you're ahead, hey, you can scale up. If you're behind, you, you pair it back. So decisions happen a, a, a bit quicker. So that's kind of kind of my day-to-day. So I can go you know, from uh, morning to have some affiliate and digital marketing meetings with with our agencies to in the afternoon reviewing content to the next day preparing, you know, decks for our uh, our, our management team to review and, and um, see if we're on track or, or behind in our goals. Because, like, we own these brands, but we operate them much like an agency does mm-hmm. because we have five of them, six of them. We have all these dashboards and um, yeah, so if you can imagine reporting, we're not just reporting on one brand, we're reporting on five, all unique brands. Very interesting, very interesting setup that you have. So you mentioned the morning. You're one of the most active fit people I know in the e-commerce space. <laughs> I learned a lot from you, man. I hated going to the gym. And uh, I remember once we went to E-Tail Canada and we like, we went multiple times. I went multiple times at the gym. I'm like, man, I'm surrounded by Johnny. I got to make sure I stay ahead of him. Um, what's your morning routine like? Yeah, I'm, I'm, so I... I... I have two small kids, uh, five and five and three. So I wake up at five thirty before anyone's awake. I built a home gym so I could not lose time with them. You know, not travel to the gym, come back, miss their morning routine. So I wake up at five thirty, um, and I'm I'm in the gym by five fifty, five fifty five. I get an hour uh, at least in, whether it's weightlifting or Pilates and running. And then um, come back up, make breakfast for for the kids, and, and head on out. So, I've, before I get to work, you know, I tr- you know I have drop offs too. So I'll get to work probably at nine, which is if I get to work at nine, that's a good day. Usually it's like nine oh five, but if I get to work uh, before nine too, like I've already been up three and a half hours. Um, the hardest part of my day is already done. At the gym, have kids ask me a million questions when I'm barely awake, making breakfast, running around, drop offs. And so then I get to work and I'm like, okay, the easy part. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, there's, there's definitely challenges on a day to day, but like that's kind of my, my morning routine. And um, yeah, I, I, I believe like a, a physically strong body leads to a mentally strong mind and everything else kind of follows. And and that's uh, that's my routine. I know some. I know like you like the night routine better. I I, I sometimes will do a, a quick like fifteen minute Pilates workout at night, but I don't have the energy to do an hour workout after after the day's done. You're totally right about the the, the fitness, the wellness side of things, and in this kind of industry where it's a fast moving industry, we have to be in shape, especially that we spend a lot of hours in front of the computer. And a lot of people started experiencing it with COVID and everything else that happened in the last couple of years. They started working from home and they're realizing, wow, I'm sitting on my chair for hours and hours. Uh, We've been doing this myself, like two decades, sitting in front of that screen, eight hours, nine hours has its negative impact on your body. And personally, I've neglected for many, many years uh, my fitness routine, my fitness lifestyle, uh, not eating right and Honestly, I could say in the last couple of years, and I saw you, and when I initially met you, I saw how focused you are at the gym. And that focus, that discipline, that consistency is what I believe. I, I, I think uh, Bedros Kilian on his podcast, he speaks about that. These are the three things that you need in order for you. It's not just skills and, and you know, I know how to run the business or I have e-commerce. It's the focus, the discipline, the consistency. And I think that is key for us, for us executives, leaders in e-commerce, um, which now brings me, I want to go into a little bit more of your expertise. Uh, how did you grow from someone who does the work from any a company or experience from someone who does the work to someone who leads the work. 
Yeah, I guess uh, it took a few it took a few years, right? Especially after you get your your first uh, management role, and then you're like, oh, I, I don't have to do all this all my, my myself. So um, I became really good at delegation really quickly, but but delegating the right things. So I think as a manager and as a leader, um, sometimes you delegate the wrong things, like like you don't want to delegate like a three year plan that you're accountable for. Right? Yeah, like there's certain things you, you you need to you need to keep and 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 do for yourself and not bog down the team. And there's other things you gotta let go and, and trust that your team's gonna gonna do it. And from very early early on, you know, if if, if I was gonna have a team and whether I hired them or or kind of incorporate them when I, when I joined, you need to have trust in them, uh, or you're you're left doing all the work, right? And to to be a true win win. You have to give a bit of leash and more and more leash and more and more leash, and that frees up your time to do everything. I spent a lot of time on on time management. Um, I'd say you know still doing it, but but over the years really became a, a good at time management and, and understanding what's the priorities, what has to get done, what's nice to have, same for my team, and that's kind of it's a constant work in progress. But um, I think that's what prepared me is like the delegation aspect, what to hold on to too. And then just like understanding time management and priorities, like everyone has the same amount of hours in a day. Everyone has the same amount of hours in a work day. Everyone has personal issues. Everyone has work issues. Everyone has things going on in their life. How do you get the most of the day and how do you do the things that move the needle most and all the other things, the overflow next week, week after just kind of bump, bump those along, but you make sure the big things are done all the time. Like I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for the big things not not being done. The little things, you know what? The nice to have, that's fine. Let's not overwhelm ourselves. That can move on to the next week. I have this trick. I don't know if you use any. I, I like writing things pen, paper, old school way. I mean, I still have the apps and the Evernotes constantly reminding me and everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have the... Uh, I have a one sheet. I mean, these are the must to do items. Here's what I should do. And uh, I want to do, you know, I want to go to the gym. I want to do these things, but the must do items, these are the ones I need to get out of the way. And delegation is a true, uh, it's a skill and that you need to work on, especially if you're someone who's always taking on the lead when it comes to projects, someone with a high-level uh, executive role, which now brings me to something I want to talk about, it, which is your book. Congrats on writing your book. Um, it's the next book I'm reading right now. So tell us a little bit about the name, um, why you chose to write about this topic. Yeah. Leadership. I was here. Master yeah, oh, leadership. I'll put it in front of you because I think uh, when we do, yeah, this is perfect. So mastering mindful leadership, 105 ways. Talk to me a little bit about that. Why uh, did you choose to write about leadership? Um, and talk to us a little bit about this. Yeah, it's, it, it, was a, it was a journey. Um, I guess to, to answer like the, the first part of that, like I... I so I want to, what made you write the book? What made you write a book? Yeah. And then let's talk about leadership. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of one of the, it's, it's so like, so I wanted to write a book on digital transformation. That's what it okay. kind of became. It, it happened. It started to happen in Calgary. Um, I was, I was traveling a lot, either personal or for work. Cause I was in the West now I was living in Western Canada. I was like, Oh, there's so much beauty in California and BC and Nevada and Arizona. Uh, and also coming back home to Montreal. Uh, at least every two, three weeks, see, see family and stuff. So I was on planes a lot. And I'm like, wow, there's only so much, you know, Netflix and Narcos I can watch on a plane at that time. And I started writing. And I said, yeah, I'm going to write digital transformation. At that time, I was speaking a lot about digital transformation, transforming businesses digitally. And then I, I started writing and I had some really good information there. And I'm like, this is going to be obsolete by the time I publish it. <laughs> 2016, 2017, now it would have been. And yeah. But I, I was also very passionate about leadership and, and every single book I was reading was pretty much on leadership, motivation, inspiration. And I said, you know what? I, I want to write a book on leadership, I think. And, and so I started down this journey of like um, a leadership book that can help people level up. And I, I was going to write a 365-day book. So every day somebody could read a, a page, kind of like you learn a new word a day. This would be like yeah. you learn a new leadership Fair book. Enough. And anyway, so I got, got into it and it was like, I was 80 in, 80 or something traits in. And I'm like, there is no way I could write 365. <laughs> this is already years in the making. It wasn't my full-time, I'm not a full-time writer, right? I have a, have a job and a, and a family and all that. So 
I, I, I said, you know what, 105, you can do, you know, uh, one a week for two years. You can do two a week for one year. You know, there's 52 weeks. 104 is not a sexy number. Let's make it 105 in case there's a leap year. And that's kind of how that came. But in between this, I started to figure out what my life purpose was. So it's kind of like they, they hit each other. And it was helping people become better leaders will lead to happier employees in a better world. And that's one reason I wrote the book. Uh, I didn't write this book to make money or, or for fame. A secondary reason to write this book is because it's on my bucket list to be an author. And, uh, you know, once I set a goal, I always aim to accomplish it. And so, you know, once I put that that goal on there, I'm like, I got to chase it. And and that's kind of what I what I did. And another reason I wrote it is like, I felt there's a great, there's great leadership books on there. A lot of the authors are retired, are consultants, have their own businesses, uh, very different than than me. I'm working full time. I have bosses. I have bosses of bosses. I have, mm-hmm. you know, I have uh, employees that it's not my own company. It's for the most part, not my own money, right? I'm spending someone else's money on, on budgets. Um, you have to motivate a team for a company that you don't own, right? Like you're, you're not the owner. So I wanted to write it from that level, like someone in the trenches writing this book and helping new managers level up, helping managers that, you know, a lot of these books are aimed at C-suite, you know, director level, but there's not a lot of like first time management support. True. How do you handle delegation? How do you handle interviews for this first time? That's a, that's a skill. It's not just like, you know, tell me about your resume. Like there's a skill in getting to, to know people. Um, so that's kind of w- one of the, the reasons I wanted to, is like to help that manager. I wish I had a book like this when, when I was uh, starting out, cause I had to learn it myself and it's really like uh, getting from manager to leader and inspiring mm-hmm. your team and doing it mindfully. Like I'm, I'm so happy that there's so much talk of like mindfulness and stuff because mindful was going to be in this, in this title titles changed a couple of times from editor to publisher, but mindful was always a big part of this book. And uh, I'm, I'm super happy that stayed in the title. <laughs> I, I can't wait to read it, honestly. And uh, I like the fact that you're targeting it to people that are starting in the space or let's say people that are moving up in their career versus the end result, oh yeah, I, I retired or I'm in the C-suite level now. What happens in between? And I feel that there's a lot of challenges going from a supervisor. A lot of times people get start in e-commerce as a specialist, eventually specialize in a, in a specific category, maybe paid media or email marketing. And eventually they move up to a manager role, a director role, VP role, and then you hit the C's level. Each of these roles have their own challenges. And it's good to hear that. Like I said, I'm just looking forward to reading it. If you had one advice, because I know that a lot of people, myself included, uh, we always want to write a book. And if you have one advice to give to anyone who's thinking about writing a book, what would it be? Yeah, so uh, write and write and keep writing. And find one or two places where you, where you can write with no distraction. And for me, it was the plane. Right. I had one or two distractions on the plane, right? Like, do you want, do you want uh, water or do you want wine or do you want a sand? Like it was like the stewardess, that was it. And, and find that place. And I, and I had a coffee shop as well. So when I was in Calgary, I had a coffee shop overlooking the water. So find that place where you need to go take an hour or two. Like I'm not good at writing eight hours. I would do it like in two hour spurts at the most. And I would, so that's why it took a couple of years for this whole process and then find a good editor who can guide you through yeah. the whole publishing. I knew nothing, even though I was a journalist, I knew nothing about publishing, self-publish, you know, going through Amazon or your own publisher. Um, so the editor walked me through all the different approaches and, and she wanted to know my why too. Is like, well, if this is for me to make money, I'm going to put you here. If this is for your brand, it's your, if you want to just help people and, and get this book as quickly as possible published, it's your, so there's all different ways. And I had to think about that, think about like how to, how to do it. And, and thankfully she, she loved the book and she had a publisher, Canadian publisher, Manor House Publishing, uh, that said, yeah, I think, I think they might be interested. Can I, can I pass mm-hmm. her book along? And she did. And, and thankfully it got, it got published. So the, the publishing process for me, the editing and publishing process took like a year, a year and a half. Uh, but wow. the publishing process, once I handed it over, you know, it, was, it wasn't a lot on, on my plate anymore. It was really on the publisher to, to do uh, their work. I want to go into, I want to really pick your brain today with regards to leadership. I want to give 
actionable ideas to our audience. Uh, but before I do so, where can they find the book? Yeah, so Amazon is is probably the the best place. What's that? Um, What's that? Amazon. Yeah, yeah. What is it's, it's Amazon it's mega marketplace. It's crazy. Okay, <laughs> deliver things in a day or two. Um, yeah, mass. Do you have an audiobook? What's that? Audiobook. Are you doing uh, creating an audiobook? Audio. Yeah. Yeah, it's not so. I haven't been asked to. There's there's a you know a digital version. There's a paperback and there's a hardcover. I haven't. I don't even know what that process is. So I was going to reach out to my publisher because it's interesting, right? Like. I don't know this this whole thing, but like I have to like I don't get like automated reports on when you know book sales. Like I don't know. Yeah. Like so, I, I I asked him a month ago my book sales and how many have sold. So it was a, it was a nice number for a new author, and, and so I have to chase that. So I ha- I have had it on my mind though to talk about like do we make this audio? Um, you know, can it be translated into French? So some some people in, sure. in Quebec have been asking. You know, will there be a French version? I'm like. It's a fantastic idea. <laughs> it's like, yeah, let me ask the publisher. <laughs> I forgot to ask this question. What was the first brand you remember or product you remember buying online? And what made you buy it? I mean, I, I, we have to go back. Yeah, like there's two. I don't know which one was first, but but one of, one of them would have been Dell. So I bought a laptop. And, and with Dell, you, you built your own laptop. So it was like, it's the same one. Someone asked me, they messaged me. They said, you're going to be asking this question to all your guests. What is your first? And it is a Dell no laptop. Way. Yeah, That's I bought it a Dell Inspiron 8000 and I paid $3,600 yeah. and it was online. I had to confirm. Yeah, mine was like, yeah, I kept it. I still have it. It's a first. big one. That, yeah, I still I have it. Interesting. Cool, like you build it your own, right? It's like, I want this, yeah. this memory, this many gigs, this program's on it. And exactly. Like, and it magically comes. And you're like, oh, pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, it, was, it was either Dell or the Book Depository, which, which Amazon has since bought. But the Book Depository was like free global shipping on any book. And uh, the prices were usually a bit cheaper than Amazon back then. And so, yeah, I remember buying that. It was probably, uh, I think Guerrilla Marketing was the book. J. Conrad Levinson. Right. Yeah, I think it was the book. How did you pay for that laptop? Uh, probably 3000 for sure. No, how did you pay? What payment method? Oh, credit card. So I had to put the order through, then go to the post office, create a money order. <laughs> And take the cash with me. And I like create a money order. I was like I, a student still. And I'm like, I sold my car and I needed that laptop. And and it was an experience. That was the biggest purchase and the first purchase I've ever made. You know, and, uh, funny enough, talking about payments. So when I worked at, at Max, um, there was uh, something called COD. So you check out and it was COD on the European sites. And then we had a Canadian version. And I was like... What do you what do you mean? Like how what, cash on delivery? Like what do you what do you mean? They're like, oh yeah yeah they don't they don't pay until they get the goods in Europe. And it's like, what? And like yeah, it's just a standard thing. There's no like credit card like you yeah. pay when you get the, the goods. And like huh? And like people accept it. <laughs> They're like yeah. It's like what if they don't? It's like well and you know the they return back to to us. I'm like huh? And and so now I know it's come a long way, but but there are still places in Europe. Yes. That are, are Middle East as well. In the Middle East, the uh, cash on delivery right. is something very, very popular. Yeah. I mean, the fintech, the logistics uh, in, in a lot of developing countries, I mean, it's still improving. But Middle East right now, uh, many places, they accept cash on delivery. Yeah. So, and a lot of, like I heard too, a lot of times, like because fraud, they don't they don't trust the sites potentially. And, yeah. You know, that, that's kind of, they, they want the goods. What's your... What's your biggest challenge right now in your role? What are you facing right now as a chief digital officer that you're constantly trying to improve on or? Um, getting more and better content. You know, we, we have a, an in-house, we have a photographer, we have an in-house design team producing more video content in-house. It's not easy, right? You're producing video for like ads. You're producing video for Instagram. You're producing video for TikTok. And we're trying to figure out like the right production value for TikTok. Cause like, right. It has to be semi-organic, but you're trying to like yeah. produce it. That's the toughest part is just transitioning to from mindset, even from our designers or photographers mindset of like stills or gifs, gifs to video for different platforms, even the size, yeah. you know, that's, that's probably the number one challenge that we face on a daily basis. Um, the second one is we, we launched a new brand from scratch actually in July. So it's a marketplace of basics for all the licenses and brands that we carry at Lemoore. So mm-hmm. it's uh, 
probably sometime this year there might be over 20 brands on that site i think there's about 14 or 15 right now brands and licenses what are the top uh, for just for the audience like the the popular ones the top uh, New five. balance pajar bench solomon thorlos um wow yeah so they're the uh, sketchers uh forever 21 some sports bras yeah so so we do licensing for 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 some of those um always in the basics kind of hosiery uh domain uh, so I would say like to that end, the, the brand is called Within, uh, wherewithin.com is the uh, URL, but like just scaling a new brand profitably. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, everyone talks about scale and scale and scale and chasing sales, but you, you, you can get into this habit of just constantly losing money every year, year in and year out. So uh, yeah, scaling a new brand profitably. Um, remember, I, I kind of joined in, you know, I joined in December of 2021, but like 2022, 2023 is like, COVID was coming out. COVID was still a thing. And then like recession, war with like Russia, Ukraine war, all this stuff happening in the world. So it's like, you know how it is in our industry, right? We comp, we comp sales. So 2021 to 2020, 2022 to 2021, 2022 to 2023, (laughs) like it's so hard to comp. There's so many world and life events going on that it makes, you know, scaling a new brand, especially profitably uh, a challenge and, and, um, we're, we're, we're in that right now. So we have a, a ton of different solutions that we're trying or, or things that we're, we want to try. Um, but again, like it also goes back to like, we, we want to produce, you know, a good product, but we need some content, some more and more content on the content. video side. Which is a great question that I have now. I want to step into a little bit more leadership uh, advice, especially um, with regards to growth in general, but because you just mentioned new brand, what's one leadership advice you have for brands entering the e-commerce space? Um, yeah, know all aspects of your business and then surround yourself with people or a person so that you can drive the business forward and not have to look at the day-to-day. But, but, but as, a, as a, a person, whether you're, you're you know, owning this or you're entering e-com for the first time, like if you... If, it's a successful company that has no e-com, right? And they like launched this division. That person still needs to know about e-commerce. They still have to understand technology. Uh, but then they, they, that's it. Just have a general view and then get someone you trust, get some talent in there to drive the business forward because you can't do it all. Um, yeah. But you, you really have to understand all aspects of your, your business. And if it's just a one-man crew and it's yourself trying to develop this e-com brand, you're going to be profitable or not depending on your operations, right? The shipping and understanding fulfillment and how you're going to process returns. The ad spend is a big one. You know, that's where people could go, go off. But I feel like as an entrepreneur, you probably have a good handle on, on ad spend and, and dollars because you see it instantly, right? Facebook charges by day, Google charges by click by day. and But fulfillment only hits you after, <laughs> yeah. you know? Or forecasting the inventory yeah. side of things. You know, you have a lot of money sitting in an inventory, and you got to meet that demand. I'm not as everyone is in the dropshipping world, yeah. so you got to put some money in. Um, so then, what is one leadership advice you have for someone uh, to attract talent and actually grow an established brand, an established e-commerce business? Yeah, um, th- this is it's interesting because, like, if I worked like I don't like Lemoore is a great company, by the way, but if I worked for like Lululemon. You get a ton of resumes, right? Easy. It's a sexy brand. brand. Sephora, probably easy to attract talent. Um, You know, some of the the bigger brands, very easy to attract talent. I've worked with companies that are kind of mid-brand level or or very successful, very profitable. may not be the sexiest name to to have at a a public speaking event, you know, as a keynote Mm -hmm. because they're not from a Starbucks. Um, But with that, I would say... The advantage you have too is is like have an amazing interview, and be honored to have that candidate they want to join. You know, make them feel that that you know they're that you know the interviewer. Let's say I'm interviewing somebody, I'm the lucky one for having them sit in that seat, and not the other way around. Very nice. And again, Very like like I said, it's not Starbucks, right? So they're coming to Lamore or you know Marks or whoever it would have been, um, and make them feel like, you know, a lot of the interviews are like very, how can I say, like, like scripted in, in a way where uh, an interviewer makes the candidate feel like, like it's, it's, it's a hassle. Like everything is, 
you know, it doesn't flow properly. And like, that's not what the impression you want. Like that employee's not yeah. going to be excited to join. You want people, you're looking for talent and good talent. Make sure the interview goes, goes well, because like, you don't have that brand differentiation, right? Yeah. They're coming for you. You're giving them coming you're giving them a taste of your leadership style, the culture during those half an hour interview or an hour interview. And it's, I like the fact that you're giving them value for them being there and willing to even apply and consider your company. Yeah. Which is, especially nowadays with the competition out there where companies are going after everybody and they they talent is available and it's no longer local, it's global. So my question to you now is how do you motivate uh, or develop a team? You already have a team. Um, you told me what is it that you need to do to grow, but how do you motivate a team that's currently right now with all the challenges de we're dealing right now after this last couple of years, people want to work from home. People want to work at the office. People want sometimes hybrid. Um, the challenges that come with Black Friday planning, the campaigns, the, the stress of the pressure that we all feel when you're comparing your sales against last year. How do you keep this team motivated? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, not, not always an easy answer. One, one thing, though, from an actionable perspective, what I've done. So I've, I've been working with um, an executive slash leadership coach for probably five or six years. And one thing he gave me was a self-reflection on the previous year. So he sent me this document. I said, oh, my goodness, I, I love this. And, it, you know, it, it kind of talks about, you know, what, what are the, the greatest challenges you had last year? What's the one thing that you want to do this year? Uh, how do you, you know, what was the greatest challenge you had? How did you overcome with it? What do you see as roadblocks? And then, like, the last question is, like, what, what's your theme for this year? Like, oh, wow. So, um, I took this, and, and a lot of it was, like, also for a man, like, someone that has management people under them and I took this and created this other document that kind of I could give to my team that maybe, maybe they don't have uh, direct reports so I have two different self-reflections and that's the start so you come on to my team we're doing a self-reflection if you come mid-year I'm going to adjust it but usually you're going to do a self-reflection for the previous year and then I get that and I say like be as open and transparent as you're comfortable because like this is going to take you further the more you give me the more we talk about potential strengths, potential weaknesses, challenges that you face, what you've done in your career, good and, and bad, you know, how the last year was. And like one of the questions too is like on a scale of one to 10, how alive do you feel? That's a tough question to tell your boss, wow. you know? So it's not about work. It's, it's about life. Like how alive do you feel? And so, you know, closer to 10 is great, but, but, you know, uh, it's not always there, especially coming out COVID, especially with the recession there, you True. know, fruit costs $19 now. Like there's, there's a, there's a ton, ton of, Don't remind us. yeah. So, so, um, I take that document and then I sit with them to find four themes, usually three or four themes, which we'll call pillars. And, you know, one of them could be mindset. One of them could be like physical health. One of them could be goals and so on. So this is really about their career on this session. And we, we tackle these four pillars. And if they agree, we're good. And I put some bullet points on each of them. And then I say, okay, are you good with this? And they take it back and they think about it. We come back. Second meeting is action items. There's these blue boxes we put on the right and they're action items. So if someone says, yeah, I want to I want to have I want to have better health. Okay, great. So you're going to start exercising, you're going to start eating well, and you're going to start, you know, um, meditating. Great. Now in the blue box, we're going to say how many times are you going to exercise a day or a week? How many, how many, what, how many minutes of meditation? And so, so all these pillars, right? It's, it's, you know, that's one example, but it's also about like goal setting priority priorities, right? At work, um, dealing with difficult people, whatever, you know, not being negative, being more positive. Those all become like an action plan. And now what I've done is, is um, layered in scorecards with them. So there's a, this development session is is a, a life and career, and then I attach the work scorecards. And mm. the the best times is when they kind of like merge into each other. Especially if someone's saying, "Well, I want to be a manager within two years." Okay, great. I know that. I'm going to help you get there. Here are all the goals that you have to help me attain to get there. And here are your scorecards. And scorecards are either in the form of KPIs, so tangible numbers, or programs that need to be launched. Um, and and that's kind of like, so we have these, and there's, you know, a million other ways to motivate and develop your team, but, but that keeps everyone accountable and on track. And, you know, my goal is to, to meet with the team on these six or seven times a year. 
and we'll wow. score credit. You know, this is besides the weekly touch bases or the informal meetings or the coffee chats I have with them. Um, that's one way. And like, I, I, you know, another way I find to, to motivate the team is like, get out of the way, let them, let them do it. You know, uh, a lot of times, like I might know the answer too. Um, I'll let them figure it out. So you often hear managers say, I don't have time to lead, train, mentor. It's a lot of time to, to put into this here and in what you just spoke about to help motivate the team. So what do you say to those managers or leaders that just say, man, I don't have the time. I barely have time to scratch my head and I got to hit numbers and so on. Yeah, what do you I, do? I hear that quite often at every company I've been at. And to me, like, and they, they, they shouldn't be in charge of a team. And, and it may be brutally honest to uh, critique to say that, but if you're saying I don't have time for my team regularly, you know what? Everyone has weeks and, and you know, some months, you know, if it's month then I, I understand. But if you say that regularly, I don't have time to lead. I don't have time for my, my team. You know what? One thing I hear is like, oh, I, I need, uh, like, we don't have enough, uh, you know, time in a week to finish all these projects. You know what? We'll get you more help. Yeah, but I don't have time to train these people that come in. What exactly are you asking for? Right? Like that's, and you hear that all the time. And every time I hear that, I laugh because I'm like, okay, you know what? My team's just going to go ahead. We're going to keep going ahead of, of that department because yeah. we're not like that. And, but, but if you have no time to lead and you have time to complain, maybe reverse those two aspects because generally people that don't have time do have time to complain. Right? Like, like saying, we don't have enough people. Yeah. But then and we'll get you people. Well, I can't, but I can't train them you're just spending time complaining and spinning your wheels. Um, and, you know, if you can't find time for your, in your week to help your team, maybe you like the idea of the title, but you're not keen on doing the work that separates a mediocre leader to a great leader that people want to follow. And and it, it's not easy, you know. I, I, I know a couple of people that are, are new into leadership or management in the last year, and they're like, they thought it was going to be sexy, right? Like, no. I have a team now. I get to delegate. Yeah, there's a lot of issues that come with that. You want to keep that team. Yeah. You want to lead that team. Yeah. <laughs> it's you like want, you want them to move forward. Hey, you want everybody to get along. The bigger your team grows, it doesn't always happen. But you can still have a positive work environment and actually enjoy coming to work, right? And and it starts with you. It starts with the leader and being respectful yeah. and mindful and kind to people and, and understanding what flexibility they might need in their schedule. You know what? We're in 2023. Like let's let's call it speed of speed. Yeah, like workers want flexibility in some way. You just have to figure out what that means too finding that balance and prioritizing things. But uh, I mean, uh, what is it that they say, um, take care of your employees and they'll take care of the business, uh, your customers. And I truly believe that when you invest in your team, the time you put into it, training them in that, you will benefit from. In the short term, you might see it as a lot of work, a lot of pressure on you. And you might have to change your ways of doing things on a day-to-day -day basis, but eventually the return on investment is there. Yeah. And as soon as you put procedures in place, it does help. So based on what you're saying, what is one or two great leadership traits that many leaders forget when they have, when they're in that role? Yeah. Uh, listen to your employees and, and team members. Um, as, a, as a leader, sometimes you want to talk a lot. Um, and you want to show that you're in charge and you want to show that your knowledge is massive. And, you know, may think, you, you might think things are going well in your mind, but listen to your employees and look for cues because that may not always be the case. You know, as a, as a leader, you always think you're doing the best job. Um, but it's kind of like an NPS score, a net promoter score for customers, right? You're like, yeah. we're, we're running a fantastic brand. And then you get your customers yeah. and they're like, oh, <laughs> that, is that really it? Yeah, is that really what they're saying? So, what is after you pass on this role to your successor? Uh, what do you want people to say about you? Yeah, um, I guess that like they learn how to be a leader. You know, and it doesn't have to be. You can be a leader without an, without employees under you, but they really learn to lead themselves in a different way. They learned to lead a team um, and they did it with a respect and kindness and empathy and care. That would be what I would want people to, to say about me or, or my successor to say about me. Love it. 
Talk to us a little bit about uh, a wave now from leadership. Let's go back to off e-commerce. We're not talking about that. Uh, we're going to talk about your love for wine. Uh, every time I follow you on social media, and I just love this passion you have for wine. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how it started. Um, I'm sure Italian, <laughs> the Italian blood is in there. But how, how you got started into this, What what is it about it that you love? Because I saw that the kids are not, well, they're not drinking, but no. the kids are involved in this journey. Um, your trips, how you keep track of everything. Really love to for you to share that. Yeah, definitely a passion project. I, I didn't always love wine. Like in, in my 20s, I still, you know, was more of a vodka guy and, uh, one of my brothers like, oh, you got to try this one. And I tried it and I was like, oh, it's okay. And then I went on a cruise and he's like, yeah, get the wine package. It becomes cheaper. So I, I did it. And I'm like, huh, I actually like started liking wine and trying different wines. I didn't know too much about wine. And then just started loving. Like I, when I when I moved, like I started getting passionate about it probably in 2010, 2011. But really like as a rookie. And then I moved to Calgary and I went to Kelowna. BC, which is like Canada's version of Napa, and what went to like 30 vineyards in, in like wow. four or five days. It was nuts. Um, and we just fell in love with like vineyards and wine and understanding different varietals and grapes and so on. And then like all like Oregon, it's like an hour flight from went to Oregon, went to Napa a couple of times, and like everywhere, like Hawaii, wherever we went, we found a vineyard. And it just kind of set in and and you know, then I'm, I'm doing my wine certification, like a sommelier goes through all these things. I don't want to be a sommelier, <laughs> but so I've done my certification one. Uh, this year, I'm going to do my certification two. There's five levels to it. Um, built a wine cellar. I uh, have 150 bottles or so in, in, uh, capable in that, in that cellar. And yeah, so a lot of the, the travel that I do is just a passion project of mine. I always say I want to own a vineyard. That's like my, my Gary Vaynerchuk owning the New York Jets uh, goal or is like, you may never reach it, but at least you'll chase nice. it. And yeah. someone told me something. Because, like, I love uh, – so I don't – like, back to the routine thing. I don't drink every day. Uh, pretty okay. strict on the days I, I drink three to four times a, a week. But I drink with food. It's very important for me, like, the pairing with food. I don't just drink to, to drink. Um, and someone told me something. It's like, if you're, if you're not excited when you open that wine bottle, that whole experience, you're drinking for the wrong – like, you're just drinking to drink. And, and he said that, and I was like, it's so true. Like every time I open a new bottle, I'm, I'm like, I can't wait to smell it. So it's a whole Take that picture. Yeah. Store picture, that picture. Yeah. Yeah. Vivino. Uh, yeah. If anyone's on Vivino, please follow me. I'll follow you back. Um, but like, yeah, it's just this whole experience. And, and my dad, my dad, like, anyway, he doesn't know varietals. Yeah. And he's like, but it all tastes the same to me. I'm like, here I am, like, you know, swirling it, smelling it and tasting it, rinsing it. And, and he's like looking at me. He's like, I don't understand what you're doing. It's just wine. Like, yeah, but it's. <laughs> don't ask me. Look, I don't even drink. So when I see you, but I, I, I truly admire your passion for it and how much uh, it's the energy. Uh, you can see it's a passion. When I, whenever we go out, whenever we go to a restaurant, and I know that you enjoy it with food, especially when you order your steaks. Right. Uh, you're a big fan of meat. So. <laughs> yeah. I want to finish off with some rapid fire uh, questions, uh, interesting ones to learn more about you, your interest. Uh, I want to start off by asking you, what's your favorite fashion brand? Something that you buy and, you know, you don't think twice. Uh, G-Star and Diesel. G-Star Funny and story, Diesel. like G-Star is in, uh, in Amsterdam. I remember like years back, I applied to the director of e-commerce role in, in Amsterdam and like got, a, got like an automated note. It was like, your candidacy is being reviewed. And I was like, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard about, but yeah, G Star and, and Diesel are, are my my favorite okay. brands. I usually ask also, what would if you were to write a book tomorrow? You wrote a book. I would ask you if you could start a business tomorrow. We know what you want to start have a vineyard, and then I would ask if what occupation other than your own would you like to try? You answer that. <laughs> so great, you saved me a lot of time. What's your favorite sport, fitness activity? Uh, hockey and and the gym. Yeah, so I started playing uh, ball hockey again after a couple of years off. And, I saw. Uh, so I now, saw. you know, there's tournaments coming up in the summer and spring and worlds and all this stuff. So it kind of gives me this extra motivation to to train a bit differently for, for hockey, but get yeah. back, you know, uh, with the guys and, and see them again in the locker room and, and have some fun. And then the gym is just, yeah, every every day. Like I try to work out every single day of my, my life. 
I did it last week, seven days a week, uh, a cardio workout in the, in the afternoon, early morning, or and oof, weight training at night. Man, I feel like a million. Feels great. Bucks. That's, that's oh my. You never. No one ever left the gym saying, "Man, this was bad" or yeah. "It sucked." Yeah, it might feel sore, but you feel good yeah, after leaving. Hundred. Great. What's your uh, favorite podcast right now? What are you listening to? I uh, so funny. Like uh, I get a lot of my information through books or reading, and then. From an audio perspective, I love entertain. Like I do it for entertainment. But like so, spinning chicklets is a hockey podcast. Okay. Love it, love it. So it's uh, every Tuesday. It's about three hour episodes. Spinning chicklets. Uh, that's that's my go to for my my right. hockey uh, my hockey gossip. Reading any books? Which one? Yeah, so I, I just finished The Monk Who Sold His uh, Ferrari by Robin Sharma, and now I'm, I just started uh, CEO Excellence. So I'm up about twenty five pages into it. And it uh, follows around, I think there's 200 CEOs that have been asked these questions, uh, mostly like public companies, but like, you know, top echelon CEOs. And they've narrowed it down to like these six different traits that they have and how they function and stuff. Um, really yeah. fascinating. Again, it's aimed at the C-level, right? So yeah. very different than, uh, than than my book would be. But um, yeah, so far, so good. Any series are you watching right now with the wife? Yeah, yourself? The Watcher. Uh, watcher? The Watcher. I saw it on my feed. I haven't it's bothered. Unbelievable. It. Yeah, I've oh, been yeah? delaying it for like a year, and, and apparently it's a true story, which is crazy. But it's it's one of those like scary things, but it's a true story. It, it's okay. Allah, you have to watch. It's unbelievable. I, I will. I will check. Yeah, it out. And, I, and I'm looking forward to like Ted Lasso and Succession returning. So they okay. restart uh, shortly, from what I hear, in March. Okay. Um, who should I have next as a guest? Oh, you should. So obviously, you know, Richard Cohen's a, a power. He's, uh, he's coming on. He's yeah, coming Richard on. Cohen. And uh, I would say Richard and Mitch Joel. Mitch Joel would be. Uh, Mitch yeah, Joel. Yeah, he's on the. He's you know, I will have to find a way to get to him. Yeah. I mean, he's in Montreal. He's too, a Montrealer. And, uh, yeah, he's a Montrealer yeah. who, who, when he spoke, he only wore black mixed T-shirts. And so, so you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll I'll mention that Johnny was at Mac <laughs> and he mentioned this, and he said you should be on the podcast, and I'll try to find a way. Yeah, so. he's great. Where can listeners find you online? So tell us. Yeah, so uh, Instagram is Russo underscore Johnny. Um, uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so just search Johnny Russo uh, R U S S O. Uh, I have you know my own website JohnnyRusso.com. And then uh, the book has its own website, Mastering Mindful Leadership. I'm going to show it again, so at least uh, yeah, because we're going to put it on the YouTube channel. Again. Yeah, beautiful. Mastering Mindful Leadership. It's a, it's a good, it's an easy read. It's not um, something that that you know you can you can pick it up and go. There's notes pages on the back, so if you want to like put it down for a couple of days and do some of these actions, like that's that's the goal. Even even when I read, it's like, what's the one thing I'm going to take out of this book? Or this yeah. podcast or whatever. It's like just kind of feeding feeding back to your your brain and your mind. It's like getting I love there. it. This was great, Johnny. Really, really appreciated uh, the fact that you made it. Uh, you're willing to, to do this interview and the, the knowledge you shared about leadership. Congrats on the launch of the book. And looking forward to seeing you pursue all of these passions of yours. And I love getting motivated by you. So keep doing what you do. Um, I'll include all of the show notes and also where you people can find you in the description in this episode, as well as on YouTube. Any final words? Noah, you are uh, with this e-commerce training academy. I mean, you're, you're, you're scratching the surface in what we need. Uh, we need more things like this to train our, our teams and our people. Um, e-commerce is, is not easy. Uh, it's also not as hard as people make it up, it, yeah. but it's not easy. It's complex in yeah. some ways. And we need better, more talent, more people engaged in e-com, better e-com leadership. Um, it's a merging of technology and marketing and brand. And um, with your academy, yeah, you're helping instill that message. And, and that's powerful. So kudos to you to, to take this Thank on you. and, and kind of run with it. I know it's been on your mind for some some years. and. Been a while. Yeah, it's good to it's see been a, launch. It's been good. a while. It's a lot of work, but uh, when you see the results, and one thing I realize is it's not about selling the coaching programs and the course, it's really seeing the impact you're having on people's careers as well as the founders that you coach. And you're seeing them, it's not just increasing sales, go from seven to eight figures to whatever it might be. It's really seeing them uh, have their businesses impact their life. Yeah. 
their freedom, time to spend with their kids, that they're willing to achieve their dreams. And when you see happy founders, um, that really gives you a sense of purpose. And uh, that's one thing that I love about the academy. And hopefully one day I will talk to you about uh, you doing some uh, leadership coaching calls for some of the members that we have uh, we schedule them and we'll, we'll talk off. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. Johnny, thank you very much. Pleasure. This was great. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Man. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Million Dollar E-Commerce Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you can share it with friends and colleagues. Even better, I'll be happier knowing you subscribed. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. The Million Dollar E-Commerce Podcast is brought to you by ecommercetrainingacademy.com.